The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Animal Communication Podcast, where we talk to animals. We're your hosts, Karen Dundee-Smith, Meredith Tolleson, and Julie Heert. Every week, we'll share insights and stories from the animals. We'll also share how animal communication is a huge part of our lives, influencing our own growth, as well as deepening the relationship with our animal family. We'll be weaving in special guests and animal communication readings. So join us as we discuss all things animal communication. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Animal Communication Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about missing pets and how animal communication can help. I will be your host today. I'm Meredith Tolleson. And I'm Karen Dundee-Smith. And I'm Julie here. And we're looking forward to this topic. It's kind of a it's kind of a complicated topic, and it's one that the three of us have discussed a lot on very different occasions. It's a very special topic to me. I sort of accidentally began working with lost and missing pets through animal com- communication. A friend of a friend referred a friend of a friend to me whose tortoise had gone on a walkabout. This was several years ago, the very first lost pet case that I had done. And I said, look, I don't have any idea how this is going to work, but I'm going to give it a shot. And it ended up being super cool. I actually was able to describe every bit of the scenery of where I thought this tortoise was and um, other details about it. I could hear a dog barking. I saw a dog like pushing his nose up against this little tortoise. Well, what do you know? That's exactly what happened. Um, The next door neighbor's dog found the tortoise on his side, wedged between the pickets of a fence. And um, he was safe and sound. And she found him exactly where I had said that he was going to be. Surprised me as much as it surprised her. But we were just very, very happy that little tortoise got home safely. I worked with that little guy another three or four times. He apparently really, really, really liked to go on walkabout. But he was very open with me and would always show me, look, here I go again. Got stuck in this little spot. Tell mom this is where I am. And we were able to track him down. I didn't really mean for that to become an area that I worked with, but it's, it's, it's close to my heart. It's close to my heart. Karen and Julie, have you guys worked with a lot of lost pets over the course of your time doing animal communication? It's a good question, Meredith. It's, it's a complicated question for me as well. It, it, unlike, unlike you, it's not something that I can say is part of my central forte, although I do get my repeat clients will sometimes call me if one of their babies has gone missing. And in those cases, I will step up and help or call you guys to help me. As we all know, sometimes the the energy of all connecting together helps an image come through even more powerfully. So yes, I will help 
particular people, but it's definitely not like my, not my forte like yours. And I've had some really, really cool success. And we'll be talking, we'll sharing that with you guys in a little while. So stay tuned to hear some of our crazy escapades and stories and successes. And what about you, Julie? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually the same way. It, I don't feel like it's a forte for me. And I do try in that I, you know, love helping both of you. If there's a case and you need, you need backup, like I'm totally fine with the backup. Um, there's a couple, there is a case that I have that's ongoing right now um, that I do partner with another communicator on just to see what, you know, if we can, we know that the dog is still alive, but we just haven't been able to, um, it's with other people and we haven't been able to get the other people to relinquish it, but that's another story. Um, it's just, for me, it becomes so hard to do because I am, I like to be a fixer. <laughs> I like to make sure things turn out exactly as I want them to. And that's not how lost pets work, I find. And so it gets to be a bit of a challenge. So it's not my forte. I will help when needed, but it's not. Yeah. But I've had some fun, which we'll talk about. But yeah. Well, and that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of animal communicators do not want to work with lost or missing pets because it's so fraught with emotion. It's very, very complicated. Generally speaking, it's sort of time sensitive. You know, someone will reach out to me and say, this is an emergency. How soon can you, can you work with me? And a lot of times the, the human involved in the situation is, is so emotional and so upset and so afraid and so desperate for information that there's a whole lot of, I don't know, there's a whole lot of different types of energy surrounding cases with lost or missing pets that a lot of animal communicators don't want to work with them. As I said, I kind of came into this accidentally. I had quite a few successes, but I've also had, you know, plenty of cases where I just couldn't provide the information that the person was asking for. A lot of people come to me and they want, you know, exactly the date, the time, what happened, where is my dog, my cat, my tortoise, if you will. What do the people look like if somebody picked him up? What kind of condition is he in right now? Just just tell him to come home. Just tell him to come home. And those are all very difficult, specific things that that's not always how my intuition works. I'll talk a little bit more about the types of resources that I use when I'm working with an, a lost animal. But Karen, would you like to talk about the sort of things that you tap into when I think back to the very first situation I had, like you, Meredith, and um, someone reached out to me, their baby girl puppy dog got loose, um, ran out the front door on them. She was quite the feisty little girl and was doing her runabout town. And tracking that girl was an eight-day experience. And this is, I think, what you know makes a lot of us say, oh my God, can I really do this? Because it's so hard to run, come in and out and then cross the universe's support on this as well. So um, the way that it works, and in the end, we did, we did get her because she, in tracking her, we tracked her all the way to like a, a little pond where there was a, a little walkway. She jumped into the water trying to still be her little feisty self and they could jump in and catch her afterward. But the tracking of uh being able to heat map the map, which is something that I do is um, when I'm checking and following an animal or trying to connect with them energetically, I sometimes can 
kind of feel on a Google map the direction or I'm getting pulled in the direction where they're headed. Because again, this is, well, you guys have found this too, right? Like there is no spot. There's no one spot because the moment of that one spot is gone the minute you share that with a person because the animal's still on the run or still doing their curiosity tracking or hunting or smelling and whatever it is that they're doing from their perspective, that moment is just a moment. But if it helps create an area where you can have a sighting, then that's really awesome. So for me, it's got to be super quick. I hop in and out with an image in a flash before I can overthink it. And then I've got to let the person just go and and see if they can have a sighting because of what we tracked. That's kind of how it works for me. How about you, Julie? I actually go through a process to see if it's a case that's actually in my greatest and highest good and the animal's greatest, highest good. Sometimes I may not be the animal communicator for this specific case. And if I'm not, I have people with whom for whom I can do a reference. So I'll refer people out if need be. If the animal is, if it is in my greatest and highest good and the animal's greatest high and good that I help, I just like you were saying, Karen, I get the address of where the animal was last seen and I Google map it and I ask where the animal is going as well. And I try to get information back to the person again, as quickly as possible, knowing that, you know, animals for the most animals have four wheel drive and we have two and we were always taught, right. To stay, if you get lost, stay put and don't move. Whereas animal particular with four wheel drive, I mean, they can easily travel 30 miles, no problem. So it's, it is a matter of doing it very quickly and seeing which direction I'm getting pulled in and relaying that as fast as possible. But for me, really, the biggest thing is, is the session actually, or is the help, am I actually the best one to help? And I do actually ask that question first. So That's a good point, Julie. I do the same too. And if I'm feeling, I'm feeling like an energetic wall coming between me and the animal, then I will definitely like immediately refer it on knowing I may not be one, I may just not, may not be in the right energetic space to be able to do this well that day, or it may be that um, the connection to someone else is actually where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do the same. Unfortunately, sometimes I'm the person that says, oh, well, I got referred to you <laughs> among our community of, of animal communicators. Anyway, you're the person they said to come to and you'll know me. I mean, I want to help. I'm a fixer. I want to do all these things and it it can be very emotionally draining for me. But when a client does call me, I'm I'm very straightforward with them about all of those things. This is an extremely emotional type of work that not everybody wants to do, but let me tell you how I work. And so here's what I tell them. I say I pull together all of the different parts and pieces of all of the different mod- modalities that I've studied. I will use animal communication, I will use just psychic senses. I pull out the map and I, um, I've noticed that if you go to the satellite view, like on a Google map, that I'm immediately drawn, immediately drawn to trajectories, if you will, to various locations on the map. And it's almost like from the bird's eye view, there are sometimes almost arrows that show up or bullseyes that show up or like a crop circle out in the middle of a field that I'm drawn to. I'll most frequently get one, two, three different points. Here's initial point of departure. Here's point two and here's point three. And those things have to happen very, very quickly. I have to be immediately drawn to that. So I don't overthink it. I think you were saying that too, Karen. I also have a good bit of training and I'm doing ongoing continuing training in remote viewing. 
which I find extremely valuable in this work, but there's so much more training I want to do in it. If you're not familiar with remote viewing, it's fascinating. Check it out. Check it out. Um, trying to establish a timeline, trying to establish, are you showing me something that's happening at the moment? Are you showing something that's happening before? I ask all of these questions. I always tell anyone that's contacted me for um, a lost animal session, the, my most accurate information comes in in the first 10 minutes that we're talking, the first 15 minutes that we're talking. Sometimes we'll do a quick 10, 15 minute check-in and I'll say, check back with me in 24 hours, take these steps, let me know what you've done. But it sometimes does become an ongoing series of conversations with phone calls and text messages that take far more than the time frame of a scheduled session. It becomes an investment. And sometimes I actually have to tell clients, I'm becoming too connected to this situation. I'm becoming too emotionally attached to the outcome. This is as far as I can take you. Has that ever happened to you guys? And if so, what do you do then? That's a really good question, Meredith. Even I noticed that after a while, I have to uh, take a break or remove myself from the energy of tracking the animal because I start to wonder if I'm filling in a story that is my wanting to hope it's working or if it's really the animal continuing to deliver information to me to share with their human. So in those cases, I will also step back and refer on to someone else or ask someone else to take the lead and I'll be kind of their backup singer as we continue with the case. What about you, Julie? Yeah, I do the exact same thing. I, um, if I feel like I'm getting too involved in it, I immediately call one of you or, <laughs> or a couple other different people that, um, that have asked me to help them. And then I'll do the same. I'll kind of reciprocate and just validate that what I'm getting is true as well as I do feel like the calling in additional animal communicators for help. And we, there was actually a colleague that we have, she's since passed away. She would help me too. And she would do dousing map dousing. And that was always, she didn't necessarily want to be the one in front, but she at least added an additional modality to what was going on. And I find that that actually helps the human involved in the missing case, in the missing pet case, feel like people have their back, that they're not actually crazy for wanting to find their animals so badly and that they will do, that they'll go to the lengths. Because just as we talked about last week with um, pets that have transitioned, you know, people get worried that society is going to think that they're crazy for loving their animals so much that they'll go to the lengths. And so to me, when I, when more people join the search, if you will, from an intuitive perspective, I feel like people have a little bit more, um, they just feel a little more cared for. Yeah. I love that. People want such specific information when they're hurting, when they're grieving, when they're afraid that their animals out there somewhere and they don't know what's going on. I find frequently people will call me and want all the answers. Um, this really is a collaborative effort as we call each other in to help on these cases. There are a lot of different steps that the humans should be taking in the process of looking for, for their lost animals. Um, what do you guys often recommend to people when they first call? That's a good question because depending on what type of animal it is, right? So, well, in all cases, as fast as possible, getting it up and getting information up in the local Facebook groups, I think a Nextdoor app, 
there's missing animal apps that um, people are very aware of. So making sure you know what those apps are in your neighborhood and in your local area, for one. There are some really great services like Missing Dogs in Massachusetts, where you can hire a tracker or somebody to help if you know where the area of the animal is that was seen last, because those experts have kind of their ways of tracking an animal or getting them interested in coming towards something, a trap, some food, a safe space, a haven that, you know, when you're running around out there on your own emotionally, you can't really do yourself. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of like real tactical things like that, that I definitely tell people about, um, including like with cats, a lot of people call about their, their cats and cats are, cats are so independent, right? Once they get outside. They go into like hunting prey mode, hunting and prey mode, like almost immediately if they're ha- enjoying the being outside part. So, you know, creating smells that they find familiar, like their own messy, dirty litter box, like leave some cat poop in it and some pee in it and put it outside if you haven't cleaned it yet and, and things like that. Tuna juice, things that they just go crazy over are the things to use to call them back since they have such an intense and powerful sense of smell, for example. The first thing actually that I'll do with a human, in addition to getting the address and whatnot, is I'll actually ask them to see if they can't take some deep belly breaths or some type of relaxation, we'll call it energy management in our intuitive world and have them calm down and ask, I actually ask them to open up their heart center in a way, and and even to visualize sending out light to their animal, like a connective light so that the animal has like a homing beacon kind of a thing and make sure that they're managing their energy, not in a, oh my God, please come home. Not like in a pleading way, but in a I hope that you're okay. I welcome you back home. This is where I am, you know, and at that point you can ask, please come home. But again, you just kind of have to watch the energy to make sure you're not bleeding and coming at it from a place of fear, but more open and welcoming and coming at it from a place of love. And I, um, I find that that can really help shift a little bit of the dynamics of what's going on too, um, with the, with also the human and me, <laughs> because then it, you know, then we can actually make, we can actually get a little bit more open to the intuitive and not the, oh my God, where's the animal? We have to find it right now and hold it on so tight. That's what I will do in addition to all the addition. Oh, and call vets. I always have people call their veterinarians and local vets, because if somebody gets hit accidentally by a car or something and brings an animal to a vet, having that vet aware that the animal is missing before they even microchip it, it might cause them to, you know, quickly microchip check too. I do that too, Julie. One of the first questions I ask is, I ask is, is your animal wearing a collar with tags? Are they chipped? Are they spayed and neutered? You know, what are the actual physical attributes for this animal? Because most of the microchipping organizations have an app or emails that you can immediately go on and put that on there. And if the animal is picked up and taken to a local vet or shelter and they scan for a chip, that can often be the first line of defense or actually collar with a tag is often the first line of defense. But microchipping is definitely very helpful. Um, Check all of those things. I do the same thing you do too, though, with the energy. And I tell people, you know, if you're walking your neighborhood, if you're looking for your cat or your dog, 
don't walk around calling out your animal's name because there's so much emotion in the human voice that the animal will pick up on that. And they'll be like, oh, there's mom, mom's upset. And there's not a sense of let me run to that. There's a sense of um, let me protect myself from whatever this unstable energy is. So I do always kind of work with the people, teach them a few energy management techniques, talk about opening the heart space, creating a golden cord, visualizing a beacon. And I recommend that if they're walking the neighborhood, they walk around and just have a conversation with their animal. Hey, Fluffy, I'm out here looking for you. I really miss you. I would love for you to come home if that's what's in all of our greatest and highest good. If there's a reason that you're not coming home, let me know what that is. Let's see if we can sort this out, which kind of leads me to my next question for you. What have your experiences been from the animal's perspective? I've encountered a couple of situations where the animal said, I, I, I'm not coming home until my human does some particular work. Sometimes there's a lesson in an animal going lost or missing. And that's a really hard thing to tell a client. But what are your experiences with that? Yeah, it's a really hard thing to tell a client. And I have to say, I have not run into one animal gone missing, taking a hiatus from the family or taking their own little trip that hasn't been tied to a soul level lesson. There's always something. And it's really hard to explain to, that to someone in the moment when they are panicking. And so there's also that like, where and when do you slip that into the conversation? Um, and I really ask the animal, what is it in short form that this person needs to know, their human family needs to know so they have a broader understanding of the situation beyond uh, the person thinking they totally messed up or get angry at someone else and blame them. Or, you know, there's a lot of cycles like that that we humans go through. And there's usually some nugget that I can get to the human, even while the situation is going on. The stories are so different and varied around what that little nugget actually is. But from the animal's perspective, they are definitely sharing a variety of reasons why they may have either A, taken a break from the family, B, had to move on for some reason, C, um, want to be alone as they pass. I need to get to my next mission in life. There's so many things that can happen with these experiences from the animal's perspective. Or even just, I just, I just needed a break for a while. Don't worry, I'll be home. So I've heard all of these things from their perspective. Uh, what about what about you all? What have you heard, Julie? The case that keeps coming to mind, and as I was thinking about today's episode too, and and kind of uh, checking in with everything, um, this one case, this dogs and uh, dogs human. I was going to say dogs animal. Dogs human actually had passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. And this dog was left alone for several days with its dog partner, canine partner. And the human who's passed away, their ex-spouse came to get the dogs. And in the process, this one that I uh, ended up working with for over two weeks broke away and ran off. And the biggest reason why she left was one, she was grieving the loss of her human. And second was because she knew that where she was going to go was where she didn't want to go. And what was really interesting was that the people who were looking for her the whole two weeks were not, there was a group of four women and the person that the house, the person that had the house or the ex-spouse, I would say was not part of the four women. 
So four women were working together as a group outside of the place that was ultimately going to supposed to take her. And she just didn't want to go. So she was not only grieving, but she was also resisting going to where she was going to have to go when they, when they ultimately um, were able to find her. And that was just a whole, but the whole thing was just this, she actually, this dog worked with each individual woman on a specific soul level lesson and including me too. So there were actually five of us, including me. And each one of us had a lesson coming out of that too, as to us raising our voice or standing in our power. It was all these different kinds of things. It was phenomenal. And we actually, this was several years ago, we actually continue to talk and share stories about this particular dog to this day because she's that powerful. Gosh. Did yeah. she, did you guys actually find her in the end? Did mm-hmm. she come home? Mm-hmm. She, she didn't come home. She allowed herself. She told me the morning that in the morning, she told me that she was ready. And so we were talking, we were checking with her pretty much every day, unless she said, no, I need a break, <laughs> but pretty much every day. But that morning she said, I'm ready. And so where she had been seen consistently, the four women went into that area and she was waiting for them underneath the tree. Amazing. Yep. Got her in the truck. And that was that. Yeah. Wow. She's a force in nature. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the, the soul level lessons that I've heard, some of them are difficult and some of them are complicated. And I really, really have to ask for guidance from God, spirit, universe, my gods, whatever it is to know the best way to deliver some of these messages to to clients. Some of them have been about releasing blame and victimization. Some of them have been about um, learning to stand in your own power and speak up with your own voice. You know, a kitty took off and said, I'm not coming back until you and the other people that live in this house stop creating such chaos. Went and lived in the woods. He was only a hundred yards away and they came through some of their issues and kitty showed back up at the back door had another who lived to be very, very old. And ultimately he told me, I didn't realize I was going to live this long. I had another human who I'm contractually supposed to be working with. And um, now's the time I have to go do that. So I have to leave you in order to go do that. But I didn't expect to still be in this physical body. I expected to be, you know, in another spiritual capacity. I don't know. There've been some really, really interesting things and it's caused me a lot of personal reflection um, to try and figure out how these things might also apply to me. Because as we know, when we're working with clients, right, with their lessons and those experiences for us as well. Yeah. I've had a few crazy situations like that to Meredith where um, I had one where they reached out to me and in the moment I hopped onto the Google map and I could see the fork in the road and the trees and the house where this dog was. And I was able to ask the dog, just, just sit there. They're coming, sit there. They're coming. And I called them and I'm like, where are you? And they were literally a quarter mile away from that area. And I'm like, go right now. I don't know how long she's going to sit and wait for you. And they showed up and there she was. The next picture I saw like 10 minutes later was this big fluffy dog sitting in daddy's arms, you know? And that was about calling them into presence, right? That dog was just trying to bring some people into like be more aware um, and more conscious about your decisions because that was a kind of a, a 
puppy off the leash that they thought was okay, but maybe wasn't okay in that moment. It was just kind of a wake up call, really. Gosh, and I've had, I've had other animals who they've shown me where they are, but they've shown me, I had one animal show me where they were, but it was really more like to have closure for mom. And they described where they were and they had already passed. They were completely like intact. It was so that their mom could find them and then have a burial for them and not have to see like a, you know, a coyote having gotten to them or something. They just, they just passed and said, here's where I am and she'll find me here. And they did. So that was, that was a way of bringing up closure too. So it was, it's been some very, very interesting experiences. Um, Julie, how about your, any experiences that you want to share? You know, you're just reminding me of of cats in particular that I've worked with that have just needed to pass, like Meredith too was saying, you know, and just needed to go off on their own. There is a um, dog that got away from its human and was actually the way that um, in communicating with the animal, the animal, the dog was actually picked up by other people. And uh, we, this is the active case I mentioned earlier. And we're just, we know that the animals out there and wants really to come home. And there isn't so much a lesson. It's just more the dog is detained and the people that have it aren't aware that they have this dog. So we've been trying to do all this different stuff to be able to make that happen. But yeah, it's just, I think there's so many different reasons as to why. And I think ultimately it just, it comes back to this notion of we're not always the ones in control of what's going on. And for those of us that are animal communicators, you know, many of us, we, some of us like control, like hi, me sometimes. And <laughs> so, you know, to not be able to rectify the situation just can make it hard for all parties involved, but ultimately, and, and I also see too, I also think animals are way smarter than we give them credit for too, you know? And I think, you know, I watch wild animals. I watch deer that know not to go across a busy road. I know there are many, many pets, you know, dogs, cats, whatever that know that too. And sometimes they just need to go and sometimes they, you know, have lessons and, yeah. but we're just not in control. We're just yeah. really not as much in control as we think. So. No. And yeah, it's really interesting. I had, this is one more, I have to tell this one story because it just popped into my head. I had a, a newer client who wanted to connect to their animal that passed. And I don't even want to say what animal because I don't want, you know, for privacy sake, but an animal that had passed and that animal was saying to them, this new one that you have in your life since I have passed is not like me, although they look like me. So please don't think they are like me. They are a runner. And so they actually had me warn their parents, this, this little guy is a runner. And so, and they were like, oh my God, you're right. And we've been trying to train them to get off leash. And the animal and spirit are saying, they're not ready. And so if you please heed my warning, because in, if you're, he's, this animal's not ready, they will run on you and it's going to cause you a lot of chaos. And they actually brought me to recommend, and that animal and spirit recommended getting a, a collar that has a tracker on it. Like Fi Collar is one of them. There's a lot of companies out there that do it, but it's like, you can find them, like find my iPhone, find your animal who's running around out there. They have those tracking collars for cats and dogs with a real app. And so um, I know that the animal hasn't, hadn't gone missing, but the animal in spirit was saying, this guy's going to go missing if you don't heed this warning. And it was really amazing to hear 
the humans going, oh, wow. And to take that guidance seriously from their animal and spirit. So that was an interesting one, that potential runaway that hopefully doesn't actually happen. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good example of how animal communication can help. That animal and spirit helped preemptively um, to give some advice before an animal went lost or missing. Well, as we've displayed, this is, I mean, it's a really complicated topic on so many levels. It's complicated in terms of how can animal communication help? Uh, What animal communicators are open to attempting to do this kind of work? What kind of other resources can we suggest to our clients from putting up flyers and posting on social media to how to find a reputable um, tracker or someone that'll fly a drone or put up trail cams to, to seek for your animal. And then also the most complicated bit of all is what if your animal doesn't come home and what is that about? And ultimately it all kind of, as, as the animals do it all, they all kind of bring us back to a soul lesson. And then how can we as animal communicators deliver that message and how can the humans we're working with receive that message and how can this benefit the animals and be for the greatest good of all of us. It's a, it's a complicated topic and I bet we'll end up with some questions on this one. Mm-hmm. Anything else ladies before we wrap up for today? Yeah. Well, I'm just getting this one little hit to just say, I have a feeling that there will maybe some people listening to this who have gone through this experience. And for those of you who have already gone through this experience, just know our hearts are with you. Um, this is a really big deal. The, these are your soul babies. These are your unconditional love muffins. And we know how heart-wrenching it can be to be in a situation like this. So we're just sending a little extra love out to those who might actually be listening and have gone through this. Thank you for that, Karen. Yeah, that's a really good point. As an animal communicator who does work with lost pets, I hold a lot of space and um, offer a lot of support for people who have been through this and have not had the outcomes that they were hoping for. So thank you for sharing that. I guess that's where we wrap up. We hope that you have enjoyed today's conversation on the Animal Communication Podcast. Join us next week, each week, for engaging chats with the three of us about animal communication. For more information about each of us and to keep up to date on our episodes, follow us on mindbodyspirit.fm and you can get their app, the mindbodyspirit.fm app, where you can also use the open mic feature to send us any questions you have, and we will hopefully answer those questions on a future episode. You can also use this feature, the open mic feature, to ask any questions you may have about using animal communication for missing pets. And you can learn more at our own website, theanimalcommunicationpodcast.com. We'll see you next time here on the Animal Communication Podcast. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. 
On The Dropping In Podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.